0: Well, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this year we're all finding it just a little more difficult than usual to be happy and to be thankful. I think everybody recognizes that. Our circumstances are making that difficult. Personally, I was supposed to go down to southern Ontario for a big family reunion that we were going to hold yesterday, and we couldn't go. And I imagine many of you have similar circumstances, and I'm sure that all of you are doing your very best to make the best of it. But it seems as if COVID and COVID restrictions have laid a big wet blanket over a lot of us. And when COVID and COVID restrictions throw a wet blanket, there is present there a spiritual danger. You could say there are numerous spiritual dangers present there, but I'm thinking of this one, where we begin to allow our life to become more about complaining than about thanksgiving. The danger of allowing our life to become more about complaining than thanksgiving. What we need to do is we need to fight to make our life less about complaining and more about thanksgiving. And it is my desire and prayer to help you with that by preaching the gospel as it's found in Habakkuk chapter 3. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Before we jump into chapter 3, I'd like to walk with you a little bit through chapters 1 and 2. So if you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to open that and follow through with me. Habakkuk was a prophet who lived about 2,600 years ago. And he lived at a time where, let me tell you, there was a lot of things to complain about. The northern kingdom of Israel had already been captured and taken into captivity by the Assyrian Empire. And Habakkuk lived in the south, in Judah, where for the last hundred years they had been a vassal kingdom of Assyria. Which means that they were allowed their own king, but he was a, he was a puppet king. They weren't a free country. The Assyrian Empire was their boss and would tell them what to do. They had to pay tribute to the Assyrian Empire. They had to do what the Assyrians wanted or they would just come and using their, their superior force, punish them, kill them, and make them obey. It was a very difficult, a very demoralizing time politically. You could say that it was a time of political... Oppression in Habakkuk's day. Habakkuk's day also, there were there were rumors floating around that the Assyrian emperor was getting weak, or the Assyrian empire was getting weak, and that there was a new group, the Babylonians, who were coming up, and pretty soon they would they would have the power, and that would come true. The Babylonian tribe would rise up under the leadership of a of a terrible warrior named Nebuchadnezzar, and they would eventually take over the Assyrian empire, and then they would uh, they would unleash their brutal war also on Jerusalem. And on the people of Judah, it was the Babylonians who would eventually exile the people of Judah. So Habakkuk had a lot to complain about, and high on the list was political oppression. He also had a lot to complain about in terms of economic depression. In ancient Hebrew poetry, you would explain economic depression a little bit like this. The fig tree does not blossom. There's no fruit on the vines. The the produce of the olive fails. The field yield no fruit. The flock's cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stables. We would say the economy has tanked. The stock market has collapsed. The price of gas has gone through the roof. There's no food on the shelves, and unemployment is at an all-time high. Lots of reasons in Habakkuk's day to complain. Political oppression economic depression. And then we could add to that spiritual corruption. Habakkuk was a faithful covenant believer, but he was living in in a time of terrible spiritual corruption, corruption in the church. He was living amongst kings like Manasseh and Ammon who had let the temple fall into disrepair, had set up altars to other gods in the temple, had set up homosexual shrine prostitutes inside the temple of Jerusalem and had as kings, and as the people were sacrificing their own children to the god of Molech. It's possible that Habakkuk saw some of the revival that happened under the reign of Josiah, but that ended as soon as Josiah was no longer king. Habakkuk lived in a time of spiritual disaster. Not a whole lot of reason for thanksgiving. Lots of reason for complaining. Political oppression, economic depression, spiritual corruption, and we don't live at a time as dreary as that, but perhaps some of you can relate to political oppression and economic depression and spiritual corruption. And so what does Habakkuk do? Well, he complains. He complains. We see that in, in the very beginning of chapter 1. How long, Lord, shall I cry for help? When will you not hear? I cried to you, violence, and you don't save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The laws is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. Justice goes forth Perverted. He's overwhelmed by these circumstances because everything is going poorly. Politics is going bad, and the economy is going bad, and spiritually things aren't good. And so he complains to God God, why are you not doing anything about it? Why are you idly watching? You're sitting in the driveway just idling. You're not doing anything. And frankly, I'm a little sick and tired of it. And maybe some of you can relate to that too. Because if you're like me, I'm kind of sick and tired. Verse 3 says, Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do I have to go through this? Reminds me of, of Frodo in Lord of the Rings. I wish it need not have happened in my time. And so there's more complaining then there is thanksgiving. And so God answers in, in verse 5, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that, if, that you would not believe if told. Behold, I am raising the Chaldeans, that is the Babylonians. And he goes on to explain, I am raising up the Babylonians to punish the, the, the spiritual corruption of the people of Judah. But the Habakkuk, that doesn't sound like too good of a deal. That's not what he's looking for. That just sounds like more political oppression, more economic depression, more spiritual corruption. And so in verse thirteen he says, "You're pure of eyes, uh, uh, you who are pure of pure eyes, than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows uh, swallows up a man more righteous than him?" It's the same complaint. Oh Lord, now you're going to send some people to come and destroy us, but you're still sitting not doing anything about the evil in the world and in the church. And so he says in, in the beginning of chapter 2, I will take my stand at the watchpost and st- station myself on the tower and I will look out to see what he, that is God, will say to me and what I will answer according to my complaint. And so he's, he's kind of challenging the Lord and says, well, what are you going to do about it, Lord? I'll tell you what, I'm going to stand on the tower, I'm going to stand on the wall and I want to see what you're going to do because I'm not very happy with how you've managed things so far. More complaining Than thanksgiving. And so the Lord answers him in chapter 2 with this vision of the Babylonians who will come to punish the political oppression of the Syrians and the spiritual corruption of Judah, and then how the Lord God will punish Babylon in turn for their evil. And so I'd like to draw to your attention four ways that the Lord specifically answers Habakkuk's complaining, and this is going to set the stage for understanding Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 3. The first thing that the Lord tells Habakkuk is to wait patiently. That's chapter 2, verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It'll surely come. It will not delay. The Lord has a plan, and it will not, it'll happen at the time that he has appointed Habakkuk, not at the time that you want it to happen. If it seems slow, wait for it. The Lord's in control. Someone said it this way. To wait patiently is to lay down your burden of assumed omniscience. It's to lay down your burden of assuming that you know best and you know everything. Lay that down. God knows best. He's working it out according to his timing. And if it seems slow, wait. He knows better than you. Habakkuk and and the ancient covenant people of God had to wait patiently for God to act and to eventually send the Messiah. And brothers and sisters, we have to learn, I have to learn, to wait patiently on the Lord. Second, what does he say in in verse 4? He tells him to live by faith. Behold, his, that is the, the king of Babylon most likely, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. This is the verse that Paul quotes in Romans and Galatians, Ephesians to say that the people of God, the believer must live by faith, trusting the Lord, trusting in God. So the believer doesn't try to tell God what to do. Here's how you, Lord, should manage the crisis. The believer recognizes that their salvation, their lives, is not in their hands. It's in God's hands. We can trust God with it. So they wait for God's plan to come from to fruition, just like Judah had to wait 2,600 years ago, and how we have to wait, remembering that the righteous live by faith. Third, uh, Habakkuk is reminded that God's plan will come to pass. That's verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Lord is in control. His great plans will come to fruition. He knows what he's doing and the spiritual corruption of Judah will not stop him and the political oppression of the Assyrians cannot slow him down and the crude Chaldeans and their violence will not impede him and COVID will not trip him up and the government in our days will not be able to resist him and the lagging economy will not stop him and the spiritual corruption in the church will never get in the way for the earth will... Be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. It will happen. And finally, God tells Habakkuk to be quiet. Verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord, our covenant God, is in his temple, in his heavenly abode, and he's the Lord, the King of kings, and he sits in control, and all the sinful, corrupt Israelites, and all the evil, adulterous Assyrians, and all the violent, puffed-up Babylonians, and all the rest of the world, including you, brothers and sisters, and including me, need to learn to keep quiet, to keep silent before the Lord. Stop your complaining, Habakkuk. Stop your complaining, Winston. Stop your complaining, Jubilee Church. Be quiet already, for the Lord is in his holy temple. Four lessons from Habakkuk 1 and 2. Wait patiently. Live by faith. Trust that the Lord's plans will come to fruition. And be quiet. And then with that background, understanding those lessons, we now get to the prayer of Habakkuk 3, because this prayer is the prayer of somebody who has now learned finally to wait and to live by faith and to trust that the Lord's plans will come to fruition, and he has learned to quiet his complaining. And so now he's ready to pray. And it's a prayer that moves Habakkuk and all of us from complaining to rejoicing, from complaining to thanksgiving. And so I'd like to point out three things that this prayer does. Number one, it reorientates. Number two, it remembers. And number three, it rejoices. This is a prayer that reorientates, remembers, and rejoices. First, reorientates. In chapter one and two, what's, what's Habakkuk doing? He's standing on the wall. He's standing on the tower. He's waiting for God to answer him. And now in this prayer, he's doing something so different. Listen to the reorientation. Now he's humbly waiting for God to fulfill his promises. Two very different approaches to living. One that complains, demands an answer, do it my way. And the other that waits humbly, praying that Lord would fulfill his promise. Chapter 3, verse 2 says this. O Lord, I've heard the report of you and of your work. O Lord, I do fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In the midst of the years. He's, he's now saying, Lord, do it in your timing in the midst of the years, not on my timing. He realizes that we cannot and must not complain that God in his infinite wisdom has decided not to organize my life exactly how I wish it could have been organized in my finite thinking. He's recognized the Lord will work in his time, in the midst of the years. And then you get, you get another sense of his reorientation in, in verse 16. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones and my legs tremble before me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. I love the way that, that hymn 14 puts it in In our book of praise, I hear your steps approaching and at their sound I quake, lips quiver, bones are trembling, I totter and I shake. In quiet expectation I shall await the day when those who now invade us will all be swept away. You see the reorientation that's happening. No longer standing on a wall waiting for God to answer his complaint, but trembling in humble prayer asking God to fulfill his promises. It's almost as if you can say, see, or hear Habakkuk say, Lord, I don't like the political oppression, and I don't like the economic de- depression, and I hate the spiritual corruption. I wish this would not have happened in my time, but I fear you, O Lord, and I trust that you, the Holy One, are in your holy temple, and that you are God, and that the righteous shall live by faith, so I will silence my complaining, and I will quietly wait and know and trust that you will fill the earth with the knowledge of your glory, so Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy, and in the midst of the years, in your timing, revive it. I trust your wisdom. I trust your timing. And that, brothers and sisters, is the reorientation that we need, that I need, to help us move from complaining, of which I've been doing way too much in the last number of weeks, to more thanksgiving. I don't like political oppression in our day. And I don't like economic depression or spiritual corruption. I don't like COVID. I wish it need not have happened in my day. But I fear you, O Lord. I fear you in your holy temple. Because you are God, and so I will be righteous, and I will live by faith today. And I will silence my complaining. I'll quietly wait, for I know and trust that you will fill the earth with the knowledge of your glory And you and your wrath will remember mercy, so in the midst of the years, in your timing, do it, Lord, I trust you. Frodo in, in The Lord of the Rings, he says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. What does Gandalf say? He says, so do all who live to see such times. It is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Brothers and sisters, be reorientated and decide to silence your complaining today. Reorientate yourself this weekend, this Sunday, to Thanksgiving. It means you need to catch yourself like I need to catch myself when I hear complaining coming out of my mouth and say, No, I'm going to stop that. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm going to speak and act differently. And then to help you to do that, to help you speak and act differently. Well, then you have to remember the second point of this prayer, to remember. That's verses 3 through 15, which is a, a beautiful poem. Those who know Hebrew a whole lot better than me tell me that it's a, a classic example of beautiful Hebrew poetry. And it's this prayerful poem of remembering. And the lyrics as we've read them, the lyrics of this song or this poem, they're, they're magnificent and they're kind of frightening. They're remembering God's overwhelming power as he's worked throughout history. It's as if Habakkuk looks over his shoulder and he looks back at history to see all of the amazing, powerful ways that God has worked. And it puts a smile on his face and thanksgiving on his lips and rejoicing in his bones. And Habakkuk's poem here, it's full of metaphors and images with some references to historical places and events. So let me name just a few of them. In verse 3, he mentions Tumen, which which actually means south. We don't know exactly where that is, but it's probably south near Egypt. And the Holy One comes from Mount Paran. Mount Paran is is mentioned in Numbers 13, Deuteronomy 33. It's the place from which the people of God left directly in order to enter the Promised Land. So he's talking about God's work from Egypt all the way through to the Promised Land. In verse 4, it talks about God's brightness and the lightning rays as God veiled his power. Sort of an image, perhaps, of Mount Sinai, where there's thunder and lightning, but there's a veiling of smoke of God's power on on the mountain. Verse 5 talks about pestilence and plagues. In the rhymed version, in our book of praise, it talks about fevers. It's it's the many times throughout Old Testament church history where God used pestilence and plagues, sickness as acts of judgment. He did in Egypt and in the desert and in the promised land. Verse 7 mentions the tents of Cushion and the curtains of Midian. So Cushion and Midian, those are Arab tribes, enemies of Israel, and who after the people had entered the promised land, had been given into the hands of the judges like Othiniel and Gideon. Verse 8 and 10 talks about God's power splitting the rivers, probably you know, and the lakes, the Red Sea and the Jordan River splitting the power of God. And then verse 11 talks about the sun standing still, which could be a reference to the prayer of Joshua in Joshua chapter 10. So there's all these, these references that relate to historical events, but I'd like to caution you in this. You don't want to get lost too much in trying to figure out what every little reference means in the historical details. That, I don't think that's the intention of the poem of the prayer. The message and the beauty of this poem is really in the imagery that it invokes. The dramatic picture that Habakkuk paints of God as a divine warrior who comes out for battle. That's what we need to remember in this poem. God the divine warrior who comes out to battle for his people. Habakkuk wants us to imagine God as a divine warrior on his horse or riding in a chariot of salvation. He's coming with all of the military might that he can muster and there's brilliant light and flashes of lightning and there's earthquakes. It's this overwhelming sense of power and majesty and the splendor is covering the sky and the praise is filling the earth as he surges forward he's so great that the nations all shake just from him looking at them that's what it says the lord looked at the nations and they shook maybe some of you kids have got a teacher like that all they have to do is look at you and you're like ooh, you're you shaking your boots Here, god just has to look at the world and all the nations shake and the mountains writhe and bow before him in his power and pestilence and plague follow in his wake in judgment and he crosses the rivers and the seas as if they're nothing and the waters churn and they surge and they praise him and the sun and the moon stand still as he rides and his his arrows fly through the air at the speed of light and his, his spear glitters in the sunlight as he marches forth into the earth with fury and with overwhelming force and justice as he tramples the wicked and thrushes the nations with his holy anger and his enemies are slain and crushed and killed and destroyed. And the one sentence or phrase that sums up the whole meaning of this part of this prayer, this poem, is verse 13. As we read it here. For you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. I love the way our our hymn in the book of praise puts that. Your glittering spear and arrows made sun and moon stand still. You marching on in fury made earth and terror kneel. You trampling down the nations came with your dreadful wrath to rescue your own people and clear for them a path. The point of this divine warrior poem and prayer is to cast your, your, your head over your shoulder and look back and remember that the Lord God rides through history to save his anointed, to save his covenant people. He rides in the past and he rides today to save the church. And so Habakkuk reorientates himself from complaining to thanksgiving. He humbles himself, he accepts the Lord's timing, and he remembers that the God he serves is a holy God, a divine warrior who rides through history, who rescues his church, who clears a path for his anointed. So brothers and sisters, turn your complaining to thanksgiving. Remember that the Lord our God is gathering and preserving and protecting and defending His church today as He has always done throughout all of history and as He will always do until the end of the days when He comes on the clouds of heaven. Your complaining will begin to turn into thanksgiving when you're reorientated from your lament perhaps justified over political oppression in our day and economic depression in our day and spiritual corruption in our day to to start remembering and focusing on the Lord and his mighty work throughout history, the Lord, the divine warrior whom you serve. You serve and worship today the Lord, the Almighty One, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. He's faithful throughout history, and he rides today for the salvation of his people. Habakkuk, he remembered that the Lord was riding to the salvation of his people, and today we remember that Jesus is that same divine warrior, and he is still out rescuing and saving his church. And so things can look bad for you. They look bad for me. And you might be frustrated like I've been frustrated. But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is still King of kings and Lord of lords. The political oppression and the economic depression and the spiritual corruption be damned. God is on our side, brothers and sisters. Who will be against us? No one. So wait. Patiently, live by faith, trust the Lord's plans, quiet your complaining, reorientate your thoughts, remember that the Lord has always been faithful throughout all of history and remember that he's always been faithful to you personally and he will continue to always be faithful to you personally and to this church forever Remember, in the middle of a COVID year, in the middle of political oppression and economic depression and spiritual corruption, our Lord Jesus Christ knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Remember 2,000 years ago, he, he rode on a donkey to battle death and the devil. Nobody thought he knew what he was doing. He came to die and raise again for the salvation of his people and remember, brothers and sisters, that he's coming back, but this time on a white horse. He's coming back to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty and he will fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. Remember the sword in his mouth. Remember his robe dipped in blood. Remember he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when you do that, When you do that, especially in prayer, when you're reorientated and you remember, then in the middle of that oppression and depression and corruption, you will find that you can also rejoice because reorientation and remembering lead to rejoicing in this prayer. And so we get to these words, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, The produce of the olive fail and the fields, yield no fruit, The flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. These verses, brothers and sisters, have inspired and strengthened scores of Christians throughout thousands of years of history. These words have been whispered at bedsides and at burials. And they've been sung in homes when the cupboards had no food in them. And they've been sung in churches when soldiers were knocking at the doors. The church of Christ confesses based on the promises of God that in the middle of political oppression and in the middle of economic depression and in the middle of spiritual corruption that we will... We will rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Even in the middle of dire circumstances, even if things in this country and with COVID would get 1,000 times worse, we will rejoice in the Lord. We, the church, will bow our knees in prayer and take joy in the God of our salvation. For by the grace of God and by faith in Jesus, we can and we will rejoice in all circumstances. For God is our strength. Divine warrior Jesus comes for the salvation of his people. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Do that, brothers and sisters, and at verse 19 says that you will find that God makes your feet like the deers, or as hymn 14 puts it, the feet of graceful rows. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't want to have deer feet. Who wants to have deer feet? It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. He's speaking about the ability to walk in dangerous places, in high places. It means that when the joy of the Lord is your strength as a Christian, then you can walk through the difficult places and the dangerous places and the frustrating parts of your life. And you can walk through the political oppression. And you can walk through the economic depression. And you can walk through the spiritual corruption. And you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you will fear no evil. For the Lord, your God, is with you. When the joy of the Lord is your strength, you can walk with a bounce in your step and you can sing a song in your soul no matter what your circumstances. So you can wait patiently, live by faith and trust the Lord, quiet your complaining and reorientate your thoughts and attitudes, remembering Jesus and rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, you can move today from complaining to thanksgiving. You can do it. Amen.